this fall at the parables of Jesus. Last week, uh, we looked at um, uh, Luke chapter 15, at the lost sheep and the lost coin, and a little bit at the lost son. And we're going to continue that today. We're going to look primarily at the lost son, although I want to uh, read um, all 32 verses uh, of the uh, text again this morning to help you kind of um, grapple with what um, Jesus is saying here. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32, um, the text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. There's a lost child that was just found. See, there it is, right right in front of us. There you go. Yep. Not like this one, though, as you'll see. So, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. Uh, this is God's word. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, him, to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So um, we've been uh, looking uh, at these parables. <clears throat> we looked uh, primarily last week at the first two. Uh, and just a couple of things to note about that. Uh, lostness equals deadness, right? A sheep that is lost will soon be dead. Uh, and a coin that is lost is essentially dead because you can't spend it or you can't invest it. And in each of these cases, the coin that is lost and the sheep that is lost are not going to be able to find themselves. They're not going to be able to get back. So something, uh, someone has to go and find them. Now, the, the tendency for us is to read the uh, prodigal son and see the father is very passive in this, that uh, he lets the son go and he sits and he waits. And though he sees the son far off and runs out and greets him, that somehow or other, the, the, the father's passive in this. Now, what we'll see is that, that, that that's not the case at all because the father not only wants the restored relationship of that which was lost, but he wants joy and he wants us to have joy with him and with one another over his saving mission in the world. Now, the prodigal son, as we, as we read that, and for, for many of us, you, even if you've ne- never been to church before, you probably know a little bit about the story, and, and that's what makes it kind of dangerous. And the, the way we tend to view it is that, you know, you don't want to be a prodigal. And, and, if, and if I was to ask your parents out here this morning, what do you want? You don't want a prodigal, Right? And you know what? You know, prodigals are messy, difficult people. No doubt about it. Um, the problem with, with that is that this, uh, this parable uh, is not told for prodigals. That's not who it's for. And, and which is good because they're, you know, uh, most of the prodigals that I know in and around this congregation are still in bed this morning, sleeping it off or doing something else somewhere else. So they're not here. Right. Uh, And uh, which is appropriate because this is not for them. It's for the scribes and Pharisees. It's for us. Right. Jesus is really kind of a Difficult person to deal with, isn't he? Because people ask him questions and he answers them with questions. Um, people grumble. And rather than respond to the grumbling, and they're grumbling so that he can hear them. He knows, he knows that they're grumbling. Unlike the way we do it, you know, we like, we like the fake anonymity of grumbling online. You know, these guys are doing it right in front of Jesus. He knows they're grumbling. And so in response to their grumbling, he tells three stories, right? Uh, and these three stories are, uh, uh, they're for us, really. So um, uh, go ahead, AJ, put my notes up there. So the thing you have to see is the context that these three parables are told to answer the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. 
And, and their grumble is, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, we hear that and we read that and it says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That sounds like Jesus is, you know, doing his thing. He's out there. He's talking to people. He's preaching. He's raising the dead. He's healing people. And, and these sinners, these prostitutes, these tax collectors are seeking him out, right? That's the way we kind of tend to think about it. But you'd, you'd be missing what is really going on here because this word that is translated receives is not passive, right? Uh, uh, it's the, it's, it's, it's Jesus is looking for the lost. Is he looking for the lost by waiting for them to come to him? Well, no, he's not. Because this word here that the ESV translates receives is, is really interesting because Luke writes this word other places in his gospel and, and, and seems to think about it in a different way. In Luke 2.25, Simeon, remember Simeon? We read about him, uh, every year at Advent and Christmas. He's the one who greets, um, uh, Mary and Joseph in the temple when they're presenting the baby Jesus. And Simeon, we are told, was eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel. It's the same word as receive. It's the same word. So, so, uh, Simeon, uh, received, was re- receiving the consolation of Israel. So what, what Jesus is doing is he is actively receiving. He is like, come on in. I'm inviting you in. I, I'm opening myself up. I, I, I want to have a relationship with you. He is, he is making a way for these prostitutes and these tax collectors to have a relationship with them. In Luke 2.38, we read again, Anna the prophetess, remember her as she prophesies over the baby Jesus in the temple, that she was eagerly awaiting the redemption of Israel. Same word, right? So it's this anticipation, this welcome, this joyful receiving in is what Jesus is doing here, right? And so, so Jesus is, it's not just that, that Jesus sits there and people come to him. It's that he is actually seeking these people out and the scribes and the Pharisees see that and they're offended by that. And so in re, in, in response to that, he tells three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And what we'll see about this is, and the thing that, the, the, the thing that you have to note about this is, is that though the story ends in joy, the last parable actually ends with a cliffhanger. Uh, because the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, the people at church sometimes, uh, are the toughest nuts to crack, right? So some things of note in this, uh, in this parable. So the, the man has two sons. Uh, one of the sons, the younger son comes to him and says, you know what? Um, I, uh, uh, I want you to go ahead and split the inheritance with me. I've had it of being in your house. I don't want to live here anymore. And I want, uh, what's coming to me. And, uh, so split it with me. So basically the father in his kindness and in his gentleness and in his mercy does that. He gives it to him. It takes him a couple of days. He gathers together, uh, what, uh, what he has. And it says he goes to a far country and he spends this, as the text says here, in reckless living, right? Gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. Now, honestly, you and I want to do that. How awesome would it be to have all the money you could ever spend and spend it in reckless living? 
Isn't that what we're working for? So that we can have enough to go and do whatever we want to do, right? I know women who, if they could, would eat crusty bread, drink wine, and eat dark chocolate at every meal. I know them. I know them very well, right? But you can't do that. <laughs> you can't, right? So, so there's, there's, there's a drive in, in, in women like that to have reckless, reckless lives, right? But, but you can't live like that, right? So, but it would be awesome to be in a situation. It would be exhilarating to, to live in such a way that you could go, you had the resources and the freedom and no accountability to go and do what you want to do. Some of you are saving like crazy to be able to do that. Let's be clear, right? Um, reckless living feels free and awesome. I mean, it, you can just imagine. I don't have to work for my dad anymore. I don't have to do any of this stuff in the house. I got the money and I'm out here and I am having the time of my life. Life's good. Exhilarating, not unlike the exhilaration you feel when you jump out of an airplane. And you're like, this is awesome. This is so awesome. This is exhilarating. I'm alive for a little bit. (laughs) Until you come to grips with the fact that there's no parachute. Whoops. Right? So one of the things that uh, uh, this this uh, is, it's a pretty profound thing for us to to think about that, right? I mean that that's that that speaks to us, and it certainly speaks, as we'll see, not only to the prodigal, but it speaks as well to the older brother, because that's what the older brother really wants. That's the desire of his heart, as we'll see as well. And so while he's living like this and having this great time, he is spending recklessly, and the text tells us, Jesus tells us. That there was a famine. Now, um, I came across a study this week. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think this is telling and it's important for us to, to think about this today. So, um, uh, some sociologists took this parable and they read it to people from Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, uh, South Asia, uh, um, and North America. And they would read them this parable, just random people and say, tell me the parable back. So all the people from Africa and Asia and South America, when they told the parable, included the famine. But when people from North America retold the parable, they left the famine out. Now, why is that? Well, I think you know, right? Uh, the fact of the matter is, those of us who are native North Americans, we the famine's not a big deal. It's not a reality. It's not a part of our lives at all, right? Uh, and, and so we read this story and we think, of course, he, he, he ended up with nothing. Of course, he did that because he was responsible and he spent all that he had on wild and reckless living. He had what was coming to him. Well, the truth is, he spent all that he had coming to him and just to make sure that he was lost, absolutely lost, with no place to go, with no understanding of what to do, God sends a famine. God sent a famine. Now, maybe that offends you. Maybe your God doesn't love you enough to send a famine 
to get you. But this God does. He sends a famine so that not only is his living spent there in, in wild and reckless living, but he sends a famine so that he is absolutely at the end of his rope. There is absolutely nothing he can do. There is no welfare program. There is no EBT. There is nothing. He's starving. Right? And so the text tells us in his desperation, the rich boy hires himself to a man and he feeds his pigs. And so the, the thing that is pretty profound to me about that is, I think, which is, which is so dramatic about this is, is that, that, that when you untether yourself from your father and you spend the resources that you have, what will you do? You will tether yourself to something else to survive. That's exactly what he does. This, it says higher here. It, it could also be, uh, uh, translated as he attaches himself to, uh, this man, right? And so there he is feeding the pigs. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy picture. And I think it became clear to me this week that as he's doing that, as he's, as he's serving this man, this is, this is the thing that begins to kind of dawn on him is, is that the hired servants that his dad has actually do better than this guy's hired servants do, right? Next slide. Um, uh, John Piper says this, when we break our attachment with God, you will end up attached to another, and that attachment will be slavery, not sonship. That's a pretty profound thing to think about there, right? So either either you're attached to God as, as his son, or you're untethered and you're a slave to something else. That's it. Those are the only options, right? It may be drugs or alcohol or illicit sex or an employer or a spouse or a sport or a hobby or a television, or a lake cabin, or a computer, or books. The attachment may be crude, or it may be refined. If we break loose from God, we will be attached to another. And in the end, whether crude or refined, this alien attachment will send us to the swine troughs, either in this life or in the life to come. Wow. Wow. Okay. That is, uh, that's a cold slap in the face this morning, isn't it? Uh, but it's, it's, it's so true and it's, it rings so true to the nature of human being, right? To the nature of, of the way in which we live our lives that we attach ourselves to things that get life, right? And there is a great attachment. There's nothing wrong with being attached. It's the question is, to whom or to what will you be attached? And so what the father sees here and what, what he does is to make sure that the son gets the, 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 the truth that the attachment that he has, the, the slavish attachment that he has now is going to kill him. And so he looks and he thinks, wow, you know, I, I squandered my sonship, but you know what? I can be a slave. I can attach myself, reattach myself back to my father. And even if I just reattach myself back to him as a slave and not a son, I'll do so much better than I'm doing now. That's, that's, that's exactly what's going, that's, that's what's going through his head. And so he comes to himself and he heads back. Next slide, AJ. And so what we see here is this crazy picture, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Right? 
So one of the things that you have to see about this, and one of the things that cuts across, that makes this so hard for us in our culture is, is the God you worship one who longs? Does he have longings? Does he long to have this restored relationship with both the prodigal and, as we'll see, with the older brother? Does he look? Is he seeking? And does he love? You know, this is such a profound thing, right? I mean, so much of our parenting is not done for the benefit of our children, but for the benefit of the watching world. You know it's true. You know you do things because your reputation's at stake and your children. Nothing makes you as vulnerable as a child. And this father... He loves so much. He does not care what the neighbors say. He doesn't care what the people at church say. He doesn't care at all. He hikes up his robe and he sprints down that robe, that road, and he grabs that boy and he kisses him. That's our God. That's who we worship. That's the one who, who calls us to himself. That's the one who dispatches our older brother Jesus to seek us and to save us, to die for us, and to rise again for us. And so we read this, we see this story, and frankly, this if this father were in our congregation, there would be some of us who would say, too soft, too soft, too soft. So, the prodigal's restored. They're having a party. There's music and there's dancing. Um, and there's this little detail, the fatted calf. I have a painting in my office of this scene of the prodigal returning. And in the background, there's a guy with a, a halter around a calf. And he's got an axe in his hand. And he's heading off into the into the distance with with the calf. And I'm like, poor calf. Uh, There's a quote from Robert Capon at the beginning of the uh, bulletin. His take on this is is that in this parable, the only Christ figure in the parable is the fatted calf. Think about that. The one who dies, who's consumed at the party. There's, I don't know, there's something worth uh, thinking about that. I won't won't hate it if that's what you think. So... um, the older son uh, is outside, coming in from the field, dutiful, working, like older sons do. Um, we, we've been collecting a lot of stuff from my mom and dad's house, and one of the things that uh, they found and my daughter was received these things from my brother was all my report cards. <laughs> and... Uh, and she came to me and she said, well, you know, I saw your report cards. What gave you the authority to criticize my grades? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, Maddie, I was second born, not first born. And so I was, you know, I got my worth and value from people by being cute, not smart, not driven, <laughs> not accomplished. So, so that was my brother's burden to be smart and accomplished. My burden was just to be cute, Right. Uh, and there's more truth to that than you know, right? So, 
So uh, the, the, fact, the, the fact of the matter is, right, here's the dutiful son. He comes in from the field and he's like, what's going on? What is happening? <clears throat> and so this servant, God bless this poor servant, you know, just imagine what his life's like. Great news. Your little brother's back. Ooh, you know, what kind of response did he get? I wonder if he got fired. So he's still out there on the porch. He won't come in. The father misses him. And so the father goes out to him. Now, one of the things that you have to note about this, and I think one of the things that's pretty profound is, if, if, if we were reading this and we didn't have the father's words, we only had the son's words, what kind of father would this be? And he said to him, your brother's come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice, notice what the son says. What his relationship with his father is, is summed up in the fact that I served you and I did what you commanded. Now, if that's the only information that you have about the father, what kind of father is that? He is a driver. He is a, he's, he's someone who expects work. He gives a command, and your your job as his son is to serve him. And that's all we had, right? But what do we see? The, son, the father, it says, he entreated him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for you. This, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So you see, do you see that? Uh, the, the father who is demanding and commanding doesn't entreat, doesn't beg, doesn't plead. This father says, please come in, receive what's yours, enjoy this. He's entreating him. And he doesn't even, the, the ESV translates this son. He's not even saying son, he's saying child. You know, little one, the one that I raised on my knee, please come in and participate in this. Everything that I have is yours. You are always with me. And see, here's the great gulf between uh, the father and the older brother. The father sees that the greatest blessing that he can give his son is withness, to be with him. Think, think of all those suppers at the end of a hard day's work in the family business where the father and the son sit together. Think of all the discussions about what to do, what decisions to make, how to do the business. They are together. And to the, for the father, that is the best thing, is that his son is with him. He's with him. They have this relationship. It is, it is so valuable to him. But what is valuable to the, to the older son Listen, this son of yours squandered his living with prostitutes. Now, there's no mention of prostitutes in the beginning of the parable. He adds that detail. And so we get a window into his value as not being with the father. He really has the same desires as the prodigal. He just doesn't have the courage to act on them. So the father is so tender with both. He longs to be with them both and them to be with him and them to be with one another.
So two things that we can take away from this. Um, actually, three. Two, th- two, two that are, well, you'll see. So uh, first is, you know, our temptation to read this text and to read this is that what Jesus is telling us here is to go and do likewise. And that is to welcome the stranger, to welcome the tax collector, to welcome the prostitute. And that's certainly true. But he doesn't, he doesn't end this parable by telling us to go and do this. He's simply telling us these stories to answer our grumbling and to say, this is what God is like. Okay? You need to see that. This is what God is like. Okay? Now, now certainly we, sh- we, should, we should do those things, but it's more important for us today to hear his words and to see this is what our God is like. Okay? The tender, loving, longing father who dispatches that which is most precious for him, his older son, to recapture us, right? And that, his, that this father, his, his desire is a joyful party, uh, a joyful gathering of all of his children, all together uh, celebrating his lavish love. That's his goal. That's, his, that's, that's the point of, of, of what he's doing. But the truth of the matter is you cannot look at this passage in a congregation like ours without addressing the fact that many of you today, just below the surface, you're about to break into tears because there's someone you love who is alienated from you or alienated from the God you love. Next slide. Next slide. The pain over a wayward child is real and ought to be present in a life driven by the Spirit. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. This pain shouldn't be confused, though, with our carnal desire to display to the world around us what blessed and successful families we have. There's a conspiracy among people like us that do that. Some of you have broken relationships with other people because you're jealous of what you think their family's like. And some of you are so ashamed that you can't admit that your child is wayward. Because after all, you know, like I said earlier, we don't parent for our children, we parent for the watching world. In many cases, the real tragedy in a family with rebellious children isn't that their parents hurt for them, but their parents are embarrassed of them, and I would even say ashamed of them. But they're really not ashamed of their kids, are they? They're ashamed of themselves. Right? The same is true in the opposite situation. If we think something is deficient or shameful about a family with prodigals, then we must conclude something is deficient about the family of God. Boy, it's a mess, isn't it? (laughs) What a mess. What a crazy mess. Um, Friends, don't don't stay on the porch.
Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's use this prayer of confession from the uh, Heidelberg Catechism. How do you come to know your misery? What does God's law require of us? Can you live up to all this perfectly? Did God create people so wicked and perverse? And uh, just so you know, this next question has to do with parenting. (laughs) Then where does this corrupt human nature come from? But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Believer, hear the good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Our Jesus, our God, our Savior welcomes tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners He goes to the trouble to pursue um, scribes and Pharisees like us when we won't come into the party. These stories end in a party. Come to the party. Come to the party. Prodigal, come to the party. Scribe, Pharisee, come to the party. If that's your only hope, is the invitation to this party that the Father throws for you. He says, drop your attachment to your slavery. Drop your attachment to your own righteousness. Come to the party. Enter into your Father's joy. 
If that's your only hope, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. Jesus says, come to the party. He's actively receiving you right now. Come to where there's dancing and enough, more than enough, and joy. Come to the party. As the elders and deacons come down front this morning to help me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is gluten-free.